This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Jim Harold from Jim Harold's Campfire and the Paranormal Podcast. We'll be here in hour two of the program to discuss strange synchronicities. Uh, This is the subject of a recent podcast of Jim's. It's one of my favorite subjects, and Jim happens to be one of my favorite storytellers. So stay tuned for that second hour. This hour, prolific author, researcher, philosopher Joseph Farrell will weigh in with his thoughts on the coronavirus pandemic. We'll get Joseph in here in just a moment. Just a reminder. To register at strangeplanet.ca for my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. And the April edition will be coming out very shortly, so don't miss out. Again, go to strangeplanet.ca and you'll be asked for your name and email, and that's it. And then you can just sit back and you'll receive the Inner Sanctum for free every month delivered to your email inbox. And then you'll also be automatically entered into the monthly draw for free Strange Planet gear for my Strange Planet shop, T-shirts, hoodies, phone cases, mugs, and more. Uh, Carlos Cagini is my technical producer tonight. Ryan White runs the live stream, and we are live streaming on the YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And hey, we're very close to 20,000. I think we're maybe 200 away. 20,000 subscribers, so hit that red sub button, button if you haven't already. The uh, coronavirus pandemic has killed over 30,000 people worldwide. The death toll in Lombardy, Italy, uh, which is the worst affected region in Italy, has slowed. It rose about 416 in a day to uh, at least 6,360 cases. It's uh, It sounds kind of strange to measure uh, success by the number of deaths, but they have slowed somewhat substantially, and the number of cases is declining. So hopefully that trend will continue. And the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, has said the city will run out of critical medical supplies, including ventilators, by next Sunday. Well, where have we heard that before? Apparently there are a lot of them sitting in a warehouse somewhere. About 1.6 million Canadians have applied for employment insurance due to the coronavirus outbreak. 
Meanwhile, U.S. President Donald Trump has issued a declaration that social distancing will remain in place until at least April the 30th. Meanwhile, in China, life is almost back to normal. Shops, restaurants, bars, offices open for business. Manufacturing activity is picking up. Traffic, once again, jams the highways of major cities. Three quarters of China's workforce was back in the job as of the 24th of March, according to one company's estimate. Wuhan, where the COVID-19 pandemic originated, is lagging, as is the rest of uh, Hubei province. Uh, but even there, the lockdown is due to lift April the 8th. So are we overreacting? Are we not taking this seriously enough? Are there powerful agendas at work behind the scenes? Here to discuss is Joseph Farrell, a recognized scholar whose credentials include a PhD in philosophy from the University of Oxford. His literary contribution is a veritable resume unto itself, covering such fields as Nazi Germany, sacred literature, psychics, or sorry, physics, uh, finances, uh, the Giza pyramids, and music theory. He's a renowned researcher with an eye to assimilate a tremendous amount of background material. Joseph is able to condense the, the best scholastic research and publication and draw insightful new conclusions on complex and controversial subjects. And he is the author of numerous titles, including, well, here's just a smattering, Nazi International, The Giza Death Star, The Giza Death Star Deployed, The Giza Death Star Destroyed, The SS Brotherhood of the Bell, Reich of the Black Sun, The Cosmic War, Secrets of the Unified Field, Roswell and the Reich, The Nazi Connection, Genes, Giants, Monsters and Men, Babylon's Banksters, Transhumanism, A Grimoire of Alchemical Agendas, Thrice Great Hermetica and the Janus Age, the Third Way, Covert Wars and Breakaway Civilizations and Hidden Finance. Joseph Farrell, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thanks for having me back, Richard. I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm all right. I mean, I, we, we always you know, open the show when we, we, I sort of ask that question. But how are you? I mean, how are you coping? Well, you know, to me, I work at home so much that it's really not much of a change for me. But, you know, I have several friends. I have teachers that are that are friends of mine. I have people that work in media, and, and they're kind of suffering because, you know, they're, they're locked down at home, essentially. Right. Well, here's the interesting thing is that, that the media and the CDC mm-hmm. and the World Health Organization, they keep they keep throwing the uh, the data in our face, the number of deaths. And, and you can see they have these websites now where it's like a ticker tape on a stock market. You can right. see the number of cases going up and the number of deaths, uh, which is, you know, it's all very serious and tragic, of course. That goes without saying. But right. what they're not telling us about are what you just mentioned, the people that are suffering because the economy is being cratered. Yes. Don't you find that interesting that they're they're hyping the deaths and the illness, but not the the economic um, uh, hit that people are taking. Well, I, I find it interesting. You know, I, I certainly am not a, a medic a medical person at all. But when this started, I found it very interesting that it had all the earma- earmarks of an operation of some sort to distract people while a lot of financial shenanigans were going on behind the scenes. Uh, and, you know, Catherine Fitz coined the term that this is a pandemic, and in some respects I'm agreed with her that there's a lot of strangeness to this whole story. For example, you know, shortly after this became a major story, the uh, Harvard chair of, of their chemistry department, Dr. Charles Lieber, was arrested 
by the federal government down here. And the story was that he allegedly had not disclosed his relationship with the Wuhan Institute of Technology, which is very interesting because Dr. Lieber was involved in in bio including nanotechnology. In other words, how do we how do we create things that we can turn on and off, you know, by means of of, of um, nanotechnology. So there's an aspect of this story I think that goes there. There's an aspect of the story just with with respect to the numbers that they keep citing. You know, Imperial College in Great Britain came out uh, a few days ago with astronomical numbers of predictions of people that would come down with the virus, and then they revised that that prediction downward by a whole order of magnitude. So, <laughs> you know, are we are we really in a pandemic, or is something else going on here? Well, uh, I want to pick up on a couple of points. One, you mentioned uh, the Harvard professor. We had a somewhat similar story up here. We have a a microbiology uh, lab in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I believe it's a level four. It is. And obviously, this is where a lot of these dangerous uh, viruses are are stored and studied. And uh, there was uh, a Chinese national, uh, two of them, I think, and several of their students who were, um, I guess their their security clearances were withdrawn and they were escorted out of the, out of the building. Yep. Uh, and the RCMP investigated uh, the this couple, or at least I believe the, uh, the woman uh, in, in this story, a Chinese national, made a number of uh, trips to uh, Wuhan where she was working sort of, I guess, off the books for this, this company over there. So then the question is, were they somehow stealing technology, sharing technology, stealing information? Well, it kind of lines I, I up believe, with what you're saying. Yeah, I believe so. If, if I recall the story correctly, Richard, the RCMP determined that they were involved in some of that coronavirus research. And, you know, that occurred, that story broke, I think, just a few days prior to the arrest or right around the time of the arrest of Dr. Lieber. So there's an aspect of this story that doesn't make much sense to me. And the way I'm kind of viewing it uh, from what the news available down here is, is that this is some sort of, of operation to cover a lot of financial shenanigans. And we see this going on already. Um, we have that case over in Germany of the Kreditanstalt for Wieder Aufbau, which is their bank for reconstruction that was started after World War II. Well, they came out just last week and announced an extensive line of credit to German businesses. And I found that very peculiar because the, that's a German government-owned bank. So, you know, this is an action being taken by the German government. And they're completely bypassing the European Central Bank, and they're even bypassing the Bundesbank, their, set, their central bank. And then, lo and behold, a few days later, the finance minister of the German state that, that the bank is located in, the bank is located in, in Frankfurt, which is in Hesse, well, he turns up dead of a suicide on, on train tracks. So there's something, you know, it looks to me, Richard, an awful lot like there's something else going on behind the scenes, and they're using this coronavirus story to literally suck the the air out of every other story going around, on around the world and divert people's attention while they're doing some sort of financial shenanigans. Right, and I, I think it's important uh, to state here. I mean, I think people should, you know, follow the... Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the government instructions, take all precautions, right. uh, you know, shelter in place, quarantine, protect right. the elderly and the vulnerable. Uh, however, having said that, 
you know, I, I think you're right that whenever that old saying, never let a good crisis go, go to waste. waste. And so, you know, what would this, this, this could be an actual pandemic, but the question is, you know, who is taking advantage of it? And as you say, using it uh, for cover, but I just wanted to make a couple other points on the, on the numbers. And you mentioned uh, the, um, uh, the numbers out of the UK and uh, how they are uh, downplaying now the number of, of cases, because what that does is it, is it it inflates the fatality uh, rate? Yes. Um, and so, for example, uh, Anthony Fauci, who's kind of the, uh, the 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 White House face of this uh, the pandemic management, if you will, Tony Fauci just wrote a piece last month, I guess, in the New England Journal of Medicine, and he said that the the cases are being perhaps by several orders of magnitude downplayed. In other words, there could be far more. Right. Uh, people that are asymptomatic or have mild symptoms, and so that the as the the number of cases goes up, then again the case the fatality rate goes down, and so what we may end up having here is just uh, a very typical well I shouldn't say typical a severe influenza which which happens right. you know we had uh, we had one in fifty seven we had one in sixty eight, right. uh, but we didn't sh- we didn't shutter the economy back then did we? No, we didn't. And this this is the disturbing thing about this. And there's something else that needs to be mentioned here. You know, I go back to the arrest of Dr. Charles Lieber, which I find very significant because he was involved, as I said, in in both um, you know virus and biological research plus nanotechnology. And the outbreak of this thing, if you look at certain places like Italy, where you have this outbreak, you also see coordination with with places where 5G has been installed and implemented. That's also true of Wuhan in that province. And it appears to me like there might be a possibility here in this story that that a multitude of, of vectors are being covered by coronavirus. In other words, we might not be looking just at a coronavirus uh, problem. We might be looking at other things that are being called that for convenience sake because the vector of this thing is is really very, very problematical. We don't know who patient one was or who patient zero was. We don't really have a good vector of how this thing developed, and, and the Chinese obfuscated things so badly at the beginning of this thing it's hard to tell. So there might be something else going on here, and it might have been, you know, I'm willing to entertain the idea that this might have been designed on, on purpose to, to come out at this time or to be activated at this time, depending on how you want to look at it. But it's all very mysterious. And, and the other problem with, with these numbers, Richard, is that the tests, you know, the, the initial tests that they were using for the coronavirus were oftentimes reporting false positives. So even the numbers here are badly obfuscated. So this story is, is, is shot through with problems top to bottom. And that's what makes me think that this is, in part, at least an operation or, at the bare minimum, as you say, a crisis that, you know, they're not letting go by without doing some other things, a crisis of opportunity. Joseph Farrell, my guest, the author of, uh, oh, so many books, the Giza Death Star series, of course, Babylon's Banksters. Uh, covert wars and breakaway civilizations. And uh, Joseph, incidentally, are you still doing the YouTube show News and Views from the Nefarium? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, when when uh, did, are those live, or when when can well, we see those? Well, I do them live, but I don't have any set time to do them. Usually, I do them sometime on Thursday. 
uh, and if if you sign up or get a subscription to it, you'll get a little notice that I'm going live. But I don't have any particular time of day I do them. I just do them when I, when I'm ready <laughs> on Thursday. <laughs> News and views from the Nefarium. Just go to YouTube and then uh, uh, search Joseph Farrell. And, uh, or go to GizaDeathStar.com, and I'm guessing you've linked to it there as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. Giza, G-I-Z-A, DeathStar.com. Um, getting back to the data for a moment, and I, I obviously we'll touch on some other matters, but uh, Candace Owens, who happens to be one of my favorite a conservative commentators, mm-hmm. uh, an incredibly talented uh, young woman, mm-hmm. uh, tweeted out something, an interesting stat, I thought. And, and I don't, you know, she, she seems to have done her research on this. Apparently, if you were to uh, die from uh, heart disease in the United States, and about a thousand people a day mm-hmm. die from heart disease in the United States, if you were to die and uh, the, uh, the post-mortem showed you were even asymptomatic, but still had a coronavirus. You would be added to the coronavirus uh, death uh, stat, if you will, right. Right. which I find very interesting. How many other people, uh, you know, people who have other comorbidities, n- uh, pneumonia or, uh, you know, diabetes or, 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 or um, kidney failure and all of these things, people that would probably be passing away at some point in the not too distant future, mm-hmm. uh, they are added to this list. So that may be that may be inflating the numbers. It's hard to say, really, what's going on. Yeah, this is the part that bothers me, Richard, so much about this whole thing is is that they're playing with the numbers, and if they're playing with the numbers and promoting a, a meme, basically of, of hysteria and panic, which I don't know, I can't speak for the media up there, but it certainly seems that way with the media down here. Um, it, it seems to me that that's another indicator that this is an operation, that they're, they've designed something to accomplish a lot of objectives that they want to get accomplished. And, and, you know, we can talk about those later in the show, because I think there's, there's certainly some, some geopolitical fallout from all of this. Right. Now, if it was, um, uh, you mentioned Catherine Fitz uh, dubbing this a plandemic. In other words, it was planned, so it was engineered. Right. I mean, obviously, if you're going to if you're going to design a bioweapon uh, that that's designed to do massive damage in terms of you know, uh, in terms of fatalities, you wouldn't probably you wouldn't you wouldn't use a coronavirus because right. yes, it's per- pervasive, but it's not particularly lethal. So right. then, if it was planned, the idea here was not. Not designed as a bioweapon to to kill, but just to disrupt. Is that the idea? Yes, that's precisely the idea. And that's precisely what I think is going on. Because if you look at this, the country that is hardest hit geopolitically, just in terms of, of the implications, is going to be China. And, you know, we've seen for for years now China building out its Silk Road project and so on and so forth and maneuvering with many other countries to get off the dollar reserve system. And this this virus is, is going to, I, I think you're already seeing it happen in, in some places, it's going to make countries pull away from China. So, and Xi has kind of doubled down on this himself by by stating that this is this is a bioweapon, and you know we're going to have to respond in kind. So this this is already isolated, I think, isolated China to a certain extent, and it's cracking apart that Chinese Russian nexus, and in a way, 
I think, has forced Russia to choose between China and, and Europe, so to speak, which it appears Russia has done by, by the massive amount of aid that they've just sent to Italy. So there's going to be some geopolitical fallout over the long term from this thing, and I think China was target number one at the top of the list. That's interesting, um, because... I- one of the someone on Twitter pointed this out, and I wish I had the person's name. It was a very astute comment or observation. Two of them, one actually, one was that the um, the contagion did not spread in China. As far right. as I know, there were no cases in Beijing. Right. Uh, so that's curious to me. Yeah. Uh, as this p- person pointed out, and secondly, there was uh, some film. There was some video footage, news footage of President Xi going to Wuhan uh, wearing nothing more than a surgical mask. Right. Here he is on the front lines walking around with a surgical mask, which seemed very curious. And this uh, Twitter, uh, the, the person who tweeted this out, pointed out, well, you know, compare that to Vladimir Putin, who put on the entire hazmat suit when he did the same thing. Right. Did What did, what did Xi know? What did President Xi know? Did they already have... Did they already have the antidote? Did they already have the vaccine? Right. Uh, because they were the ones that created this? I don't know. What do you think? Well, you know, I think a, a rule of thumb for any sort of biowarfare is you don't release anything like that without having a vaccine or a cure to, ready to hand. So, you know, it may it could be that Xi did know something at that stage. And I think... I think his announcements recently that this was a bioweapon of some sort and that they're going to respond in kind is an indication that they had some intelligence on on all of this. But the other aspect of this that bothers me immensely, Richard, is is this 5G connection that's making the rounds on, on some Internet discussions of this whole story. Because if you reflect back a few years ago, you recall those stories of birds dropping out of the sky Stone Cold Dead in Tennessee, and then there was another episode in, in the American state of Idaho of birds just dropping out of the sky. Well, at the time, we were told that these birds had suffered some sort of sudden-onset bird flu. And I blogged about this in the last couple of weeks. Somebody sent me a paper, and I put it up on my website, about electromagnetic means of, of, of inducing death in, in populations. And lo and behold, some of the symptoms that result in the pathology are mimicking the symptoms and signs of flus and influenzas. Joseph, I'm just going to jump in here. Joseph, we'll pick up on this on the other side. Joseph Farrell, my guest. Key Bono, coronavirus, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740 Welcome back. Joseph Farrell is here. GizaDeathStar.com The website Giza as in the pyramid GizaDeathStar.com and from there you can uh, uh, link up to his YouTube channel News and Views from the Nefarium and new episodes typically on uh, Thursdays uh, but um, tons of uh, information at GizaDeathStar.com Alright, before the break you were talking about how um, 5G this uh, this new uh, iteration of um, digital technology rolling out, and uh, Wuhan is kind of at the epicenter for that, and coincidentally at the epicenter for the coronavirus outbreak. And you were saying that 
there were certain uh, certain symptoms, mm-hmm. uh, sensitivity to uh, electronic sensitivity and so forth that some people have, the mm-hmm. uh, Wi-Fi flu, some have called it, and how that mimics or mirrors some of the symptoms of coronavirus. Explain. Well, this this is based largely on a paper I was mentioning before the break that, that somebody sent me, and I go back to a couple of stories that appeared a few years ago where we had incidences of birds dropping out of the sky in this country, in the state of Tennessee and, and the state of Idaho. And at the time, we were, to- we were told that these birds fell dead in mid-flight, incidentally, because of something they were trying to pass off called sudden-onset bird flu. And at the time, I thought that, well, this was a bunch of nonsense because flu doesn't, you know, doesn't act that quickly, nor have that kind of effect on whole flights of birds. So I thought there may have been some sort of electromagnetic uh, technology being tested or deployed. And we've seen 5G tests recently in the Netherlands with, again, flights of birds just dropping stone-cold dead. And to me, it's very interesting that there is this 5G correlation, at least as far as northern Italy is concerned, and at least as far as Wuhan is concerned with the outbreak of this thing. So I've even entertained the idea, Richard, that we might be looking at some sort of bioelectronic warfare taking place in this scenario. And certainly the Chinese statements about biowarfare and so on aren't, aren't putting that idea to rest. So something else is going on with this whole thing. There was um, a book written, I can't remember the author, a, a, a good friend of the program, George Freund, sent me the link. Uh, someone who wrote a book who was making the connection, a similar connection, to the Spanish influenza yes. in 1918 and the advent of electricity and yes. radio wa- radio waves. Because where the, the, the camp, it actually broke out in France, not Spain, uh, at the U.S. base in, in, in France... They were experimenting with wireless uh, telegraphs, and uh, that's kind of interesting then. It's interesting that you mention that because, Richard, most people don't know that General Pershing kept in touch with Washington, D.C. by means of very low-frequency radio that was actually being beamed through the earth itself much like we do nowadays with with submarines and so on well this was a technology that was has been around for a long time so you were using a very different and very unusual kind of radio wave so it doesn't surprise me that you have some sort of uh, biological correlation with all of this that doesn't surprise me at all all right so do you think then that the coronavirus is being used as cover because yes. the people that are behind rolling out 5G, they don't want to alarm people because it's going to be so pervasive in our lives. It's the Internet of everything. Everything will have 5G. Uh, so in order to not, uh, you know, um, uh, panic us over that, they're saying, well, no, it's it's not 5G. It's it's this coronavirus. Is that, that what's could, happening? That could very well be because I don't know about what the stories are up there, but there are stories down here that while this virus story is going on, many American schools are being converted as we speak to 5G. So there is there is that connection, at least in the way that they're using this as a story to get other things done. Right. Now, uh, another good friend of the program, media scientist Nelson Thal, uh, was on, on my podcast uh, last week, suggesting that another agenda at work here, again, 
you know, not that the coronavirus is isn't real, but it's being seized upon and used perhaps even by President Trump to bring down or at least to attempt to bring down the Federal Reserve. In other words, all of these uh, checks that he's going to be issuing, and incidentally, he's insisted that his name be on, which I think is a stroke of genius. Uh, but but all of these checks, when they are redeemed, is it possible that that they will be U.S. Treasury notes and not Federal Reserve notes? What do you think oh of that? Boy. Oh boy, Richard, you you really hit something there. This this is a story that's making the rounds down here uh, quite a quite a bit. And let me let me give you my suspicion. Uh, President Trump came out during one of his press conferences and announced that if there were going to be corporate bailouts, big corporate bailouts, that this time around he wanted the government to have equity stake in those corporations and that there would be no buybacks. And I suspected at the time, I just commented a couple days ago on another show about this precise issue, in fact, that my suspicion is that his real target there is precisely the Federal Reserve. Now, as far as I can tell, that has not happened yet. However, there have been uh, provisions in some of these relief bills about the U.S. Treasury owning those equity stakes. So, in other words, if, and I'm underlying the word if, if that is true, then what you're seeing happening is they're moving the, the liabilities, the debt, to the Federal Reserve, and they're moving the assets to the Treasury. And if that's the case, that's a huge and significant step. But again, you know, we're going to have to wait for more details on this as it comes out. But if if the indicators are are pointing in that direction, and I think they are, then then we're in a huge financial reset in the midst of all of this. So let me just see if I understand that they're shifting the debt to the Fed, right? And and the assets to the U.S. Treasury, right? So that's the, way, that's the way it looks to me, judging on the base of all the articles I've read about this thus far. That's the way it appears to me. But it, again, I underline it's a mighty big if. If that were the case, how would that sink the Fed? Well, it sinks the Fed by effectively, basically, kind of making it a front for the Treasury. In other words, you're you're kind of merging, you're you're kind of merging the two, although you're keeping separate balance sheets on, for each institution. Because previously, of course, the Fed has bought sovereign securities and so on, but Trump is now talking about direct equity stakes by the U.S. Treasury in any bailed-out companies. So, in other words, the Fed finances and the government picks up the assets. And if that's if that's the case, that is a major major reshuffling of of the deck chairs on on the on the ocean liner of U.S. finance. Um, it it would be a huge thing to do. And there's already people saying out there saying that this has already been done. I'm not quite so convinced of that yet, but there are those indicators out there. Uh, would that also mean that they would? that President Trump would nationalize large portions of the debt? It looks to me like what this may be uh, being seized upon as a crisis of opportunity is, is the following. If, if the government ends up, let's say, owning equity stakes in Boeing, which has been very hard hit by this, this coronavirus story in addition to its problems with the MAX-80 uh, aircraft, if, if that's the case, what this means is the government, by virtue of its equity stake in corporations, would be able to tell those corporations, it's time to move your manufacturing back here. 
So in other words, it would give it would give the government, it would give the Trump administration a direct ability to carry out the policy that he's been trying to carry out and reshore industry. And, you know, if you can pick up equity stakes in the Federal Reserve along the way, so much the better. <laughs> would there be a reset on the price of gold? Oh, I think so. I, I think you're looking at that right now, uh, Richard, because there appears to be a huge divergence now between paper gold and actual gold uh, that's going on in the markets. And another thing that's been very interesting, I just saw an article today that a lot of commodities markets are planning to go completely electronic, just like the New York Stock Exchange did. And, you know, going completely electronic means that they're able to reshuffle ownership uh, of massive amounts of equity or commodities, you know, literally in, in, in the blink of an eye. So there is something going on here financially that they're using this as a crisis of opportunity to get a lot of things done very, very quickly. All right, Joseph, another time out. On the other side, a short sure. segment. We'll continue our conversation. Joseph Farrell, GizaDeathStar.com. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Just a reminder, coming up at the top of the hour, my good friend Jim Harold, wildly successful podcaster, the Paranormal Podcast, Jim Harold's Campfire, and a very successful author as well. We'll talk synchronicities. That's coming up next hour. And uh, next week on the program, a documentary filmmaker, Ali Siadatan, will be here to talk about the uh, coronavirus from a biblical perspective, uh, from a prophetic uh, perspective. And then in the uh, second hour, uh, Craig Webb from the, uh, the Dream Institute in Montreal will be here. All right, we'll continue along with Joseph Farrell, GizaDeathStar.com, the website. Don't forget his YouTube channel, News and Views from the Nefarium. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, we were talking about some of the other agendas uh, here at work using the crisis cover. But before we get back to that, something just occurred to me I forgot to mention, and that is, you know, in terms of, you know, who may have been responsible for this. Um, before Christmas, North Korea's strongman, Kim Jong-un, Remember this? He said he's going to deliver a Christmas present to yep. America. Remember yep. that? Yep. What do you think? I mean, is that a coincidence or is he involved perhaps? Well, I don't think it's a coincidence. Whether he's involved in it or not, I don't know. But right right after that period that he made that announcement, uh, I think it was within two or three weeks, you know, shortly after this coronavirus story began to break out, Richard, there was another very unusual story, and that was the interception of about $900,000 of counterfeit $1 bills. And in fact, it was intercepted up there in Canada, and it was apparently an interception that was uh, jointly conducted by the RCMP and, and uh, American Intelligence. I forget which agency it was down here. But these were counterfeit $1 bills that were coming into this country via Canada from China. And what I find interesting is that, that the counterfeiters chose to counterfeit $1 bills. You know, normally they would counterfeit 20s or 50s or 100s, but these were $1 bills. And this occurred right as this coronavirus broke out. And there was nothing in the story that mentioned, you know, these bills had been infected or things like that. 
but it occurred as this story was going on, and I have to wonder if, in fact, there was some sort of uh, uh, bio-warfare going on with that via North Korea. And the reason I say that is because if you dig and scratch long enough about North Korea, you'll run into stories about uh, the Koreans being used by the CIA to counterfeit American money. There's even been stories that that they have the plates for American $100 bills. And you have to dig long and hard for these stories, but they're out there. So it would nothing right now, Richard, with regards to this story would surprise me. Absolutely nothing. Um, so in terms of using the, the uh, pandemic as a cover to paper over, you know, an economic meltdown. Right. Uh, certainly that happened during 9-11. Right. Uh, is that also is that also at work here that there was uh, that they saw a collapse coming and that this was used to paper over it? Yeah, I think I think we have to consider that as part of of the many objectives of of this operation. If indeed it's an operation, I tend to think it is. But even if not, even if it's a crisis of opportunity, they certainly are behaving in that fashion. And you know, while we're at it, we can we can look at other things that this operation has also done. It has number one taken away President Trump's ability to rely on his rallies for his reelection strategy. Number two, it's removed Joe Biden from the necessity of having to appear in debates. So in other words, it's had it's had a lot of uh, kind of secondary effects that accomplish a lot of objectives for whoever's behind this. And if you roll China into the mix and, and roll China, pardon me, and roll the financial aspects of the way that this this is being used, then all the indicators are pointing to, in my opinion, to the idea that this is some sort of operation of of Mr. Global as I like to call him. Right. And so I, I always had the sense that, you know, Trump very early on, I mean, he took very quick action in closing the uh, right. uh, flights from China and so forth. But on the other hand, he was saying, you know, this is nobody talks about the flu deaths. And this is, you know, this is right. uh, pales in comparison and so forth. So it was like he was riding two horses at the same time. And I got the sense that he he's been boxed in, basically. So he knows yeah. what he knows what what's going on, but he can't very well go out during a daily press conference and say this is this is a pandemic. To quote Catherine Fitz, right. is that your sense that he's been boxed in and he's he's trying to make the best of uh, this bad situation? Well, I think certainly the attempt was made to box him in, but the way I'm I'm viewing him is he is is counterpunching. He's using this as his own crisis of opportunity. For example. Uh, right around two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, I forget when it was, there were massive arrests down here that did not make the major news of people involved in, in the Mexican cartels all over the country. Hundreds of arrests, as a matter of fact, of, of the MS-13 uh, gang, which has been, you know, if you look at the way that that has been used by, by the so-called deep state people down here, that that was kind of functioning as their paramilitary arm, so that's been shut down. Um, so I, I think he's. I think the attempt has been made to box him in. Whether that's been successful, because you know we have all of this talk going on about Federal Reserve and his his bailout package and so on and so forth. Um, it appears to me that he's counterpunching 
quite frankly. So he's, he's partially boxed in, but I don't think completely. We also had, and I don't know if this is related or not, but we had a whole um, uh, a bunch of, of high-powered CEOs at major, major corporations yes. only stepping down at the same time. Yes. Uh, is there a connection there, do you think? Oh, I, th- I definitely think so. You know, shortly, again, shortly after this whole story really began to, to gain some traction in the media down here, you had the sudden resignation of Bill Gates, not only from Microsoft, but also from Berkshire Hathaway, uh, Warren Buffett's big company. And I don't think that was accidental in the slightest, because Gates, of course, had sponsored that Exercise 201, down here, which which mirrored in many in many respects what we see going on in actuality right now with the virus. Ah, uh, yes, event two hundred one. Yes, we have to talk about that. Thank you. Uh, I forgot. I hasten to uh, to bring that up. So let's uh, let's do that on the other side. Uh, Joseph Farrell, my guest, GizaDeathStar dot com, the website, news and views from the Nefarium. You really have to check it out. I mean, you're you're getting a uh, you know about an hour here with. Uh, with Joseph, but uh, this is just scratching the surface. So uh, you definitely want to subscribe to news and views from the Nefarium, and then you can have Joseph uh, on your screen every week. We'll talk more on the other side, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Joseph Farrell stays with us for uh, a few moments yet. So, Event 201, this was, um, I believe it was described as a tabletop pandemic exercise. And uh, let's see, it was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yep. Uh, they were involved, the uh, the World Economic Forum, Johns Hopkins um, Medical Center was involved. And uh, I think it was October of, of 2019, right? Yes, it was. It was it was right before this, and what I find very unusual about that whole event is you're looking at many of the same players that were involved in that event and that are involved now, the CDC and so on and so forth. Um, and there's been in in this respect, there's been other little items in the news that I think are connected to this story: the shutdown of Fort Detrick in this country, which is the U.S. Army's uh, bioweapons research facility. And there was a story uh, shortly before this virus story broke out of the Trump administration trying to do something to, to seize more direct control of the CDC. So there's something going on. But, but the Gates event 201 interests me, Richard, because we saw this during 9-11. We saw all those drills that were being conducted on that day that were mirroring almost exactly certain aspects of what actually occurred. And, you know, the interesting thing about that was that that, that put the American chain of command in a bit of, of a bind because they didn't know whether these things were actually live or if it was part of the drill. And that caused part of the confusion on that day. And the event 201 looks to me to be something similar in that respect. And then all of a sudden, after this whole story starts to break out, People start talking about Event 201, and then suddenly Bill Gates resigns, both Microsoft and and Berkshire Hathaway. And the reason I I think the Berkshire Hathaway part of the story is interesting is that Warren Buffett on 9-11 was located at Offutt Air Force Base, you know, the center of America's nuclear forces command. 
So there's there is a, a peculiar 9/11 aspect to this hovering in the background, and then additionally, it's important for people also to remember that the U.S. government recently awarded its Jedi contract to Microsoft, and then after this virus story started the government pulled back and said we need to reassess this and whether or not we want to award the whole contract to Microsoft. So something is going on here that we're not being told, in my opinion, about why he resigned so suddenly. It's related to this Jedi contract. I think it's probably related to Event 201, but they're not telling us what it is yet. Hmm. Uh, the CDC, how would you assess uh, their role in this? They were awfully slow getting the testing yep. Uh, uh, done. Uh, what's going on there? Well, that's another, you know that's anyone's guess, Richard. I'm as mystified by their behavior as you are, um, and and part of it goes to this to this other thing that we discussed previously. You know, what exactly are the numbers? Are these tests that that the CD is putting out any good? You know, we've been hearing reports of false positives and so on, and the numbers keep fluctuating. As as you pointed out, Dr. Fauci, who certainly has his connections with that institution is talking about, you know, the effects on of of the numbers of downgrading numbers and increasing percentages of deaths and so on and so forth. So, you know, this whole story is being obfuscated at almost every level and that's what bothers me about it. I think it's a a, a telltale sign that we're looking at a media-driven op of some sort here. Um, so I, I'm 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 as mystified as you are, and I suspect that you know this story about the Trump administration trying to get tighter control of of that institution previous to to this outbreak might have something to do with this story. But again, I don't know what. It's it's almost the opposite of what happened in in 2009, and yeah. and um, I have to credit Cheryl Atkinson. An investigative journalist, fiercely independent, fantastic uh, a journalist, and uh, she was the one that sort of broke the story that the CDC. Uh, th- this was the the swine flu epidemic of two thousand and nine, right? And they stopped they 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 stopped testing, right? They stopped testing people, and and uh, they claimed they they stopped testing because they said, well, it's so widespread now, there's no point. Right. But when she asked them to prov- to provide the numbers. Of cases, uh, they dragged their 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 feet, even though that information belongs to the public. So she went state by state. She gathered the information herself, and what she discovered was that very very few people were actually testing positive for influenza. Right. 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 This this is what bothers me here, Richard. And again, I go back to to not only the false positives on some of these tests. The test appear apparently is not reliable. But I go back to something else that I mentioned earlier in, in our conversation, and that is it looks to me, when you put all of this together, it looks to me like like coronavirus is a cover story for something that is in part coronavirus but may not be in its entirety the same thing. So we might be looking at, at other things going on here in terms of, of the illnesses that people are contracting because, again, we have no reliable patient zero for this. We've got obfuscated data coming out of China, uh, and on and on it goes. We've got numbers that are inflated by Imperial College and then later revised the magnitude downward. So, you know, what what really is going on here? We don't know from one week to the next because of the stories that the media is pumping out. And uh, it's it's a wonderful laboratory, too, for what, what do you call the globalists? Mr. Globaloni? Yeah, Mr. Globaloni. 
global baloney. <laughs> yeah, because uh, they're sitting back and they're watching how right. so many people are uh, almost welcoming right. this quarantining and almost celebrating uh, martial law in effect. Don't you yeah. find that kind of disturbing? Oh, I find it extremely disturbing. I find it extremely disturbing. Because this is the other aspect of, of this operation. I think it has as one of its objectives to find out, you know, do a little social engineering beta testing to find out how people react to this kind of a media-driven uh, a media-driven story, which to me it still largely is. You know, they're talking about pandemic, but if you run the numbers of the actual deaths that have occurred from this versus the world population, we're we're not talking in pandemic terms at all. This is nowhere near that. But yet people are responding to the media hype. And there's something else I need to mention here in this respect, Richard. I went out, you know, I, I hate to grocery shop. And so I grocery shop about once every two weeks. And so earlier this week I decided to go out grocery shopping and do my two weeks' worth of grocery shopping, thinking based on, on what I was observing where I live, that people are not going to be all that hysterical. Well, I went grocery shopping, and Richard, it was like fighting the Battle of the Somme. Uh, it was just absolute pandemonium. But when I was standing in line to check out and listening to people and why they were there buying groceries, I would, I would guesstimate about 98% of the people were there not because they were responding to any media-driven hysteria. They were responding out of cynicism to the whole story. Uh, in other words, there was, there was nothing political about it. There was nothing hysterical about it. They were just responding to, to, uh, to the government and, and to the narrative itself out of a sense of cynicism and, well, we better stock up and get ready for something because this doesn't make any sense. That was kind of, that was kind of the uh, overwhelming opinion in the grocery store line. Interesting. So if this is kind of the, the, the beta test, what are they going to, the next pandemic that rolls around, what are they going to lay on us this the next time? Are they going to say you have to download this app so that we can track you? Uh, you know, are they, are they going to provide us with a, a mandatory vaccine? That could be, you know, that could be any number of things that they want to try. And, and certainly mandatory vaccine has already been bandied about in certain quarters down here. Uh, I think if they try that route, they're going to meet some 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 real opposition. Um, I, I just don't see that I don't see that working for them. But there's any number of other things going on as all of this is going on that give me pause, and a large part of it's financial. And you know, I, I I've even watched the state of Utah begin to roll out its own kind of private local currency called Utah Goldbacks. And interestingly enough. They decided to start marketing these things in Hong Kong, of all places. <laughs> so there's, yeah, you know, <laughs> go figure. But but there's all sorts of financial stories going on right now in the background of this thing, and I definitely think if they try it again, you know, we're hearing talk down here of well, this thing could could resurface, you know, in the fall when when temperatures start to go down again. So in other words, they're they're prepping people in a certain way already for the idea that this thing is going to be around and then perhaps go away and then come back around again. Right, three waves like the uh, the Spanish flu. Right, exactly. Exactly. Mm, well, yeah, that's going to be interesting because as, as President Trump, I thought, so astutely observed, America is not designed to be quarantined. And Americans, 
and Canadians. You know, right. we're an industrious lot. We want to get out. We want to work. Right. How much longer are we gonna are we gonna put up with this? That's a big question. Joseph, always an immense uh, honor and pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me back on, Richard. GizaDeathStar.com, the website. Jim Harold is next. Synchronicities right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. A long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A big how-do to all of you sheltering in place and listening in on our flagship station, AM740 and 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio here in Toronto. Hiya to those of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey, you streaming us live at zoomerradio.ca and on the fabulous Zoomer Radio app. And hello to all of you watching the live stream on our YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and those of you in the YouTube live chat. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Time for a a respite from coronavirus, at least this hour. Synchronicity. It's a concept first introduced by analytical psychologist Carl Jung, which holds that events are meaningful coincidences if they occur with no causal relationship, yet seem to be meaningfully related. During his career, Jung furnished several different definitions of synchronicity. He defines synchronicity as an a-causal connecting togetherness principle, meaningful coincidence, a-causal parallelism, or meaningful coincidence of two or more events where something other than the probability of chance is involved. He introduced the concept as early as the early 1920s, but gave a full statement of it only in a 1951 lecture. Here to swap war stories and discuss strange coincidences and remarkable synchronicities is one of the top podcasters anywhere, Jim Harold's Campfire, is and uh, and uh, the Paranormal Podcast are so wildly popular. He's also the author of five volumes of true ghost stories, and he's also those uh, five books, uh, incidentally, have been number one supernatural bestsellers on Kindle at various times. Jim has developed a loyal following over the last fifteen years that spans the globe. And after over a decade of working on the business side of media, he decided it was time to dust off his broadcasting training and step back behind the mic. A lifelong interest in the paranormal combined with his love of broadcasting and technology have resulted in some of the most successful podcasts of their type to date. He holds a master's degree in applied communication theory and methodology and is an accredited certified digital media consultant by the Radio Advertising Bureau. Jim has also had the opportunity to teach at the university level. Jim Harold, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show, my friend. How are you doing? I am doing well, Richard. Thank you. So great to talk to you and uh, great to talk to your listeners. And, and might I offer a, a quick comment on this situation we're in today? Yes, please. Yes. I just wanted to say, and I know I'm sure you feel the same, 
just a hearty thank you to the healthcare workers out there, the first responders, the food workers, the truckers who get us those those good God uh, God bless you all. And I just hope everybody follows the 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 recommendations of the authorities so we can flatten the curve and and do what we need to do get this thing over with and and move on at the appropriate time but uh i hope everybody stays safe out there and uh uh, wishing uh blessings on on everybody listening tonight a hundred percent hundred percent uh very quickly uh right off the top for those not familiar and there may be one or two out there not uh, familiar or subscribing to the paranormal podcast and jim harold's campfire how do they do that well you just go to any of the apps out there and pretty much everybody's phone has one now it might be apple podcast google podcast spotify iheart radio pretty much any audio app and you look in their podcast section and type in Jim Harold. that's H-A-R-O-L-D, and uh, Jim Harold's Campfire, which is, like you said, my true ghost story podcast and other spooky stories, UFOs, synchronicities, uh, that's that show. And the Paranormal Podcast is uh, an interview show, uh, which uh, Richard is expert at. I, I mean, he's, he's one of the absolute best, but I, I try to muddle along on the Paranormal Podcast and, and interview <laughs> a lot of uh, authors and experts and so forth. And we have a good time. I've been doing that show since 2005. So it's a delight. I hope everybody gets to check them out. But these days, very easy. Got your phone. You probably already use one of those audio apps I mentioned. And and there are many more that I didn't mention. And just type that in. And if nothing else, put Jim Harold podcast into Google and, and, and it'll pop up. Right. I mean, those podcasts are just, I mean, you are in a different level entirely. I mean, your uh, your podcasts. I mean, you're getting millions and millions of people downloading these. What's what's the latest data on that? Uh, well, I think over the course of the shows being around, we've had over forty million downloads. But I mean, it's relative, right? I mean, I'm a successful. I consider myself a successful podcaster. But then there's people out there like Joe Rogan, you know, who, you know, he gets millions of episodes, right. millions of downloads on one episode. So. I mean, I'm very grateful and very thankful, but there's always, you can always do better and you can always do more and reach more people. And uh, that's why I love being on shows like this, because, you know, there's a, there's a lot more people that haven't heard of me than have heard of me. So I love the opportunity to talk to new people about spooky stuff. Well, you did a recent episode on uh, synchronicities. Now, was that on Campfire or was that Paranormal Podcast? That was actually with uh, Mike. Uh, we we did a couple. Uh, one was Mike with Mike Cleland, who has actually written a book on it, and he's also done. I'm pretty sure you've spoken to him before on owls and UFOs, the messenger. Oh yes, and we did one. Yes, with, yes, we did one with him on the paranormal podcast, and then I also did one on the campfire because now campfire is its thrust is ghost stories, but we get many stories in other categories. We get stories about doppelgangers. And we get stories about what I call head scratchers, just things that kind of make you go, hmm. And then we get these weird synchronicities, these things that, you know, they seem to be coincidences. But as you said with Young, they also seem to be very meaningful and almost like somebody somewhere is pushing the buttons to have these things line up in an odd way. Right, right. And 
just where I'm sitting in my little studio, uh, down the hall, I'm in the uh, the basement uh, of the house here. I'm under the stairs, quite literally, the studio under the stairs. The my kids call me Harry Potter. Yep. Yeah, my kids call me Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> but uh, we we have a cold room, and uh, you know where we keep uh, can tin goods and so forth. And and uh, on the door, this is uh, this belongs to my mother in law. She's a a huge uh, John Kennedy fan. And there is that uh, that this poster, which yeah. outlines the amazing coincidences between Lincoln, President Lincoln, and Kennedy. Uh, yeah. And and you've probably heard this many times, but for yeah. people not familiar with it, you know, the, the Kennedy and Lincoln, uh, they were both elected a hundred years apart. Lincoln, eighteen sixty; Kennedy, nineteen sixty. They were both succeeded by Southerners named Johnson. And the yeah. two Johnsons were born 100 years apart. Both assassins were born 100 years apart. Booth in 1839, Oswald in, 18, in 1939. Um, uh, both, both assassins died before they could be brought to trial. Uh, Lincoln's assassin, uh, uh, he committed the assassination in a theater and he was surrounded in a warehouse. Uh, Oswald supposedly shot from a warehouse and he was captured in a theater. On and on and on yeah. and it goes. Do you have... Like a favorite, a favorite one from from history. One of these strange synchronicities. You know, the one that came to mind just as you were saying that is: Are you familiar with the wreck of the Titan? Oh yes, yes. This is a great yes. one. So, so this it was uh, it was I believe it was a novella written in the eighteen uh, nineties, and it was about this ocean liner that sank in the North Atlantic after hitting an iceberg. And there were all of these interesting details about it. Uh, you know, they, there weren't uh, enough lifeboats for all of the passengers. It was uh, 800 feet long. Um, and, and there was thing after thing after thing that was the same. I believe the Titan was said to be, this fictional Titan was said to be unsinkable. And uh, the odd thing is, is you have this work of fiction written in the 1890s, and then a short 14 or so years later, you have a very real event, the sinking of the Titanic, which was also said to be unsinkable. It also sank in the North Atlantic after striking an iceberg. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Some people call that predictive programming. Um, what's I mean? Is that coincidence? Is that is there something else uh, at work there? Is there is there some time travel involved? Is I don't was know. the author I mean, channeling? I can, only, I can I can only speculate, but perhaps it's that things um, are kind of floating in the universe. And and you know I I'm sure you've heard and our listeners have heard tonight. The idea of a writer, whether it's a writer of a fictional work or a, a song or whatever it might be, that things just come to them. They don't know where they come from. Or, or somebody is writing uh, a work of fiction, and the characters seem to take on their own lives, and, and, and the author wants the character to go right, and he takes a left. And it seems like to me that in these creative kind of projects, we're tapping into a larger consciousness of some type. So maybe these things that are yet to be are floating around in that consciousness and perhaps we're tapping into them. This is just idle speculation. I mean, I don't know. 
I haven't done research to, to figure this out. This is just something that has occurred to me that maybe that's, that's part of the reason. Another similar example, I think it was Jules Verne, I may be wrong on this, that talked about a moonshot, you know, going to the moon. And it talked about uh, taking off from Florida. And the ship was called the Columbia, where I believe the capsule was called Columbia for that first Apollo, that, that Apollo mission, the first one to, to land on the moon. So I guess what I'm saying is that I think these authors in these cases are tapping into some kind of collective consciousness. Now, the, the other types, the other types of uh, synchronicities, and I, I can share a couple of those, I think that they're maybe, you know, a higher power maybe helping engineer things to our benefit. Uh, I think that's also a possibility in some cases. Right, right. The other example, and again, some people call this predictive programming, um, Dean Kuntz, uh, who's a fabulous yeah. writer. Uh, in fact, when I open the show and I say, welcome to the Imaginarium, the word Imaginarium, it's a made-up word. It was made up by Dean Kuntz, and it's featured in one of his, his, his novels, and I, I forget which one. I just added the audio. Uh, so it's audio imaginary. But in one of Dean Kuntz's novels, and I think it was from 1981, Eyes of Darkness, and he talked about, or he writes about uh, a pandemic that would start, I believe he actually named Wuhan. Uh, he said it, uh, he, he named the amount of, uh, you know, the number of deaths and the number of uh, uh, people infected. He said, um, uh it would then it would disappear and then it would return uh, in 2030. But I believe he actually named the date as well. I think he said 2020, and he named Wuhan. I mean, come on, what is going on there? Yeah, that was really weird. Now I believe I have read somewhere, and I don't know if this is accurate, but I read that in the original edition of that book that it had been Gorky in Russia uh, that it emanated ah. from. But then in a later edition in the 90s, which is still <laughs> it's still predictive. It was changed to Wuhan, and maybe that's because of the relationship with, you know, the, the former Soviet Union and, and then and, and not being, you know, the deal with Russia not being so adversarial, not quite as adversarial as it was with the Soviet Union, then that was moved to China. Um, but regardless, it's an established fact that that was written decades before this happened. Yeah, how in the world did that, that come out? Now, some of it might be knowledge. Uh, I think it was pretty common knowledge that the Chinese have some uh, facilities that look into this sort of thing, and, and one at Wuhan uh, in particular, uh, as I understand it. But the point is, is that he could have picked any place else on Earth. Why, why that? It almost seems like tapping into something. You're tapping into this, this collective consciousness, and maybe this, this kind of like a premonition kind of thing. And uh, it is amazing. And it's real. Right, it right. happens. We, we just mentioned three examples of it. Now, what about on Campfire? Do you get people calling in from time to time with amazing coincidences or, or, or strange oh, yeah. synchronicities that you oh, can yes. share? I, I, one of, actually, one of my favorites is from a Canadian. And this was quite a ah. number of years ago. Um, she talked about going to, and this had been in the early 80s, I think. Uh, going on a honeymoon with her uh, husband, and they had family, I believe it was in Hungary. And uh, anyway, it was this very long journey. And, you know, they had to take, like, planes, trains, and automobiles, if you remember that old John Candy movie. Oh, yeah. Terrific And movie. it was this long, long trek. 
And they get to this place, and this man picks them up at the train station, and it's, they're staying like, uh, it sounded like a private home. I don't know if it was a cousin or, or whatever it was. But they didn't, this, was, this wasn't somebody that they knew well. They, 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 uh, but they had some kind of uh, acquaintanceship, uh, familiar relationship. But anyway, they get there, and it's uh, you know, a very kind of modest apartment, nothing super fancy, but they're very happy to have it. And they have two beds, uh, and the honeymooners say, "Well, it's okay. We we don't we don't care uh, because we just want to sleep. You know, we're not interested in romance tonight." And they're exhausted. But then the woman gets this very intense feeling. She said, um, "The bed over there that my husband's supposed to sleep in. I need you to move it next to mine." And her husband and this man are like, oh, come on, it's it's 2.30 in the morning, everybody's tired. And we're not talking the flimsy kind of furniture sometimes you buy, uh, you know, at uh, Walmart or something. We're talking about that you, heavy That you European. put together with an Allen key. Right. Exactly. The kind of furniture you put exactly. together with an Allen key. <laughs> this is like right. heavy, old furniture. So, sure. And she demands it. She says, you have to move it. She didn't know why. So anyway, um, they finally relent and move it and they're sleeping and maybe 4.30 in the morning they hear this huge crash and there's glass breaking and just they thought that a car had literally run into the apartment they turn on the light they're stepping over glass they look there was a huge huge bookcase that was on the wall uh, stand up full of books and heavy leaden glass and all of these things that fell exactly where that other bed was that they moved. Had her husband been there, he would have been killed or seriously injured. And the funny thing was when, you know, the the gentleman who, uh, it was his home or his his, uh, unit there, he ran to see what was going on. And he said, oh my gosh, that bookcase has been there as long as I can remember. I was a small child that was there that that has never moved ever. And that particular night, it fell down. What are the chances? And that's what I said. You know, I said sometimes I think, you know, and I know different people have different beliefs about a higher power. I know you're a man of faith. Uh, I'm a man yes. of faith. I may not be a good Christian per se, but I am a man of faith. I, I do believe in higher power. I think sometimes somebody's watching out for us. And I think that's an example of one of those times. Right, right. Maybe a guardian angel. Hard to say. Yeah. And then we sort of, yeah. we categorize it as a synchronicity. You know, averting disaster, um, it kind of reminds me, I, we mentioned Lincoln earlier, the Lincoln and Kennedy connection, which is phenomenal. Um, but with, with Lincoln's assassination, I don't know if you if you've heard this story about uh, Lincoln only had one son, uh, one child that survived, Robert Todd, Todd Lincoln. And um, a couple of months before uh, John Wilkes Booth assassinated Abraham Lincoln at the Ford Theater, Robert Todd Lincoln, Abraham's son, he was waiting on a, a crowded platform. He was waiting for a train in, in uh, Jersey City, New Jersey. And he, and he suddenly he loses his footing and he falls beno- uh, beneath this slow moving carriage uh, of, of this departing train, but he's pulled to safety at the last minute before any harm can come to him, and he turns to thank his rescuer, and he's surprised to see it was the well-known actor 
Edwin Booth, the brother of John Wilkes wow. Booth. So here, Never knew here we have the brother of the assassin saving the son of the victim. It's incredible. Incredible. Yeah, the, the, the thing for me, synchronicities have a deep meaning to me because a lot of times doing these shows, I'm not a paranormal investigator. People assume that sometimes. I'm sure they make the same assumption about you, Richard, when you do shows that delve into these matters. Oh, you must be a paranormal investigator. I am not. I, uh, but the thing is, 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 so a lot of people say, are you psychic? No, I'm not psychic. Uh, have you seen a ghost? I don't think I've seen a ghost per se, but I have had a lot of weird synchronicities in my life. Uh, one that happened to me that, that didn't save my life, but was very personal meaning, uh, had personal meaning to me happened about three years ago. I was on uh, a paranormal cruise where, uh, you know, they have these events where they have speakers who come on and, and, and people sign up to be a part of the group. And I was one of the speakers right. on this. I was with uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, the late, great Rosemary Ellen Ah, uh, God bless her. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I, I just thought she was the greatest person. Uh, and anyhow, I had a little cold. So um, this was a day at sea where we were all giving our presentations in a little conference room. And it happened to be by... Um, the casino for the, the, for the, for the ship. And I was getting ready to go on. I said, I'm going to go run, running to the little cafe here and get some coffee to kind of warm up my throat a little bit here. Jim, I got to, I apologize. I got to, I got to cut in here. We're going to break. We'll come back and we'll get, we'll get back to the paranormal cruise as you're heading towards the casino. Jim Harold, my guest from the paranormal podcast and Jim Harold's campfire Back with more on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Jim Harold from The Paranormal Podcast and Jim Harold's Campfires and True Ghost Stories, Volume 1 through 5. And I believe he's uh, working on Volume 6 as we speak. No kidding. During the break, he's actually typing out volume six. Uh, anyway, Jim, apologies for the interruption. We were You were just in the midst of uh, sharing one of your uh, personal synchronicities. So you're on this paranormal cruise with the likes of Micah Hanks and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, God rest her soul. And um, you're taking a stroll through the casino. Yes. And I see one of the uh, attendees who was with us. Nice guy. He was playing one of these games that they have the claw that goes down, like you might see at a retail store in the lobby or a, a Walmart-type store that gets the stuffed animals. But in this case, he was playing, and it was going for money. And it had an odd significance to me because my uncle... Uh, had passed a few years earlier, and he loved to go, to go into stores and play these crane games where you would get a stuffed toy. And I, I just had a very present thought of him. On the, he would absolutely love being here. He would love to play that game. And to think that he could try to get money, he liked the sport of it. So he would spend right. 10 bucks to get a 99-cent toy to give to one of the kids. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. and, 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 and honestly, he was like a second dad to me. So it wasn't your average uncle relationship. It was more like a, a father-son. I was kind of lucky because I pretty much had two dads. 
but uh, in, in that sense. And, and anyway, so his loss deeply resonates with me to this day. Right. But nevertheless, so I'm thinking of him very intently, and I, oh, I wish, I wish he were here. He would love that. And I, I felt very strongly about it. And, Richard, I was stopped in my track shortly because a woman walks up right next to the gentleman from our group. She cups her hand to her mouth, and she says, John, John, hmm. Richard, guess what the name of my uncle was? John. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And yeah, of course. Wow. Me, that's the definition of a synchronicity. It's meaningful. And it's a coincidence. Yep. And to meet anybody else, I would think, and some guy walked up, I assumed it was her husband, but let's just say for a thought experiment that either my uncle or God or whomever mm-hmm. said, we want, we want you to know that he's thinking about you too. How many pieces would they have to put in place to make that happen? That gentleman uh, from our group would have to decide to play that game. You know, it's down to when they put the game there, they put it in a place where I would see it when I would be walking through, and I happen to have that sore throat, which made me want to go get the coffee. That woman happened to be walking through the casino at that time, happened to get removed from her husband, who happened to be named John. I mean, it's just infinitesimal, the amount of little mini connections that had to happen to make that work at that given moment in time. Oh, it's spectacular. It's spectacular. Do you find when something like that happens to you, uh, if you if you start paying more attention and when something like that happens to you, you can't help but not start to pay more attention, that you start to find more synchronicities in your life? Yeah, I've had three or four big ones, and a couple of them have been life and death. Uh, one of the, 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 but I do, it's kind of like when you buy a red car, you notice everybody has a red car. Uh, I do believe that's true. I do believe that's true, but things have happened to me so strangely. And I think a lot of people have stories like this. I think this might be more common than a ghost story. Uh, for example, I'll give you one more that I think is very striking and could have been very striking in a very bad way for me. Uh, when I was dating my wife. In what was it? It's been 94. And uh, I was living in a part of town that uh, was uh, going downhill, shall we say. But it was a working class area, an ethnic area. Uh, the name of it in the Cleveland area here was called Slavic Village. Anyhow, okay. I just signed the papers to move out closer to who is now my wife. We weren't even engaged yet, but I had a feeling it was going in that direction. And it was closer to my work. And I was very young. So um, I thought, you know, I'll move, I'll move out there. It makes sense on a lot of different levels. But I was still staying in this old uh, half of a house, A-frame house, to kind of set the stage in this working-class area. And uh, one night we go to uh, I get tickets from the radio station I was working for at the time. And uh, we go to a big amusement park here known as Cedar Point, which may be familiar to some oh, of you. Oh, yes, sure. And anyway, we spend the day. We have a great day. I, uh, I'm driving home, and I'm going to drop her off at her house, which is about 35, 40 minutes from where I live. And she said, you know what? And she lived at home with her folks, very traditional family, uh, Italian family, very traditional family values, all that stuff. And she says, you know, I'm really worried about you driving home. 
if you drive home, I, I think something bad's going to happen. I really think you need to stay over. I'll ask your dad if we could sleep on the couch and uh, and if he would be okay with that. And this is one thirty in the morning. I don't want to wake the man. Plus, I mean, I've known these people a few months. It's, I felt very, very awkward. And... Uh, and she said, no, I insist. And I said, okay, okay, that's what makes you feel good. So she asked, and he said, yes, thankfully. So anyway, I sleep on the couch. Next morning, we have a nice breakfast, and it's like that even further solidified it for me. It's like this is my future family. And uh, drove back, and I was in a good mood, and I parked out front, and I see the I pull up to the house, and I see the landlord's son, who lives in the back half of the house, standing across the street, pointing at uh, the houses on our side of the street and talking to a neighbor, I walk up to him and I say, well, what happened? What happened? And I think his name was Dave. What happened, Dave? He's like, I got to talk to you. There's been a drive-by. I'm like, there's been a drive-by? Whose house was hit by a drive-by shooting, for goodness sake? Our house. Oh, <laughs> turns out, Lord. Turns out, and this is honest to God, I'll swear on a stack of Bibles, our house was hit by an AK-47, several rounds of armor-piercing uh, oh. rounds. And, and, and the police were astounded. They couldn't figure it out. And uh, they, they, they asked the landlord's son, uh, well, this guy lives here. He's not here. What does he do for a living? <laughs> they thought it was some kind of drug kingpin. Oh, my he gosh. He worked for a classical music radio station. Um, what turned out, what turned out happening was, is we lived in a blue house, a dark blue house, and we lived next to a light blue house. But about three o'clock in the morning, when these fine gentlemen came up and decided to shoot up the place, uh, there were these amber street lights, these oranges hue street lights, and right, right. Uh, the light blue house, which is the one they were supposed to hit looked white and the one that they hit was ours and it looked very decidedly blue in that lighting uh turned out that the people next door had uh crossed some kind of motorcycle gang so anyway uh last night i slept in that house and yeah could that have been that was really i think the whole time i lived in that house i lived in it maybe not quite a year but the whole time i lived in that house that was only the second night i had Stayed away uh, from there. I mean, it was quite your a coincidence. Your future bride saved your life. Absolutely. And she never lets me forget it. No. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah. word. That's an incredible that's, story. It, that, I mean, that, that is a life why, and death situation. Yeah, and that's why I believe in synchronicities. I believe they're real. Now, what's behind them? You know, as I often say to people, say, well, people say, oh, you've been doing this 15 years, you're an expert. I don't know that there are any experts. I think we can think about it, we can speculate, we can talk about, but there I think, you know, I, I like to think that there was uh, someone up above looking out for me. I haven't had anything like that that I, <laughs> well, I would, I would remember if I did. Nothing life or death. Um, but I was just remembering uh, our mutual late friend, our Gary Patterson. Um, oh, he yeah. shared one with me. This is uh, nothing to do with him, but, you know, he and I would talk about the Beatles a lot. And uh, he told me about um, uh, John Lennon uh, 
well, about five years after Lenin was murdered by Mark David Chapman, NBC, uh, they decided to do this uh, biopic about Lenin and his wife, Yoko Ono, and it was called John and Yoko, A Love Story. Yeah, I think now, get I this. remember Unf- that. Unfortunately, the actor they hired to, they hired to play John Lennon, unbeknownst to them, yeah. happened to be named Mark Chapman. <laughs> I mean, you got to oh. be kidding me, right? So uh, obviously, they <laughs> they uh, they uh, they broke the, uh, the the contract. They recast the role. They gave it to someone presumably not named Mark Chapman. And uh, life went on as, I guess, normal as possible for those who live in the Twilight Zone. However, Mark Chapman, the actor, not the the crazed gunman, he got his, uh, I guess, his rewards because he got to play Lennon again in in a a 2007 dud. It was called Chapter 27. So Mark David Chapman, Mark Chapman playing John Lennon, not once, almost, but twice. Unbelievable. That's that's definitely you got to be the you got to be kidding me file. All right, uh, Jim, we're going to take another quick time out. We'll come back and talk some more about synchronicities. Jim Harold from Jim Harold's Campfire and the Paranormal Podcast right here on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Yes, indeedy, we have opened up the phone lines. If you have a remarkable coincidence or a synchronicity you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear it. Jim Harold from Jim Harold's Campfire and the Paranormal Podcast, and uh, six, uh, five, sorry, five val- volumes and counting of true ghost stories. And I mentioned earlier, I'm guessing you're hard at work on volume six, Jim? Yes, I am. I, I just want to tell your audience something uh, real quick. Just uh, today, I put up the second book on Kindle for free for a limited time. I, I just, it just, it was synchronistic. That we happen to be doing this show tonight, but uh, Jim Harold's Campfire 2, and I checked Amazon.ca, has it uh, for absolutely free on Kindle. And if you don't have a Kindle, you can get the free Kindle app. I do that for two reasons. One, I wanted to kind of put something out there positive for people to enjoy at this difficult time. And honestly, it, it does raise the profile of all the other books. So uh, I think sometimes it's possible to do good and do well. And uh, at the same time, so I thought I'd put that out there. So I hope uh, your folks get to check that out. That's the second book, Jim Harold's Campfire 2. Fantastic. Those are just doing remarkably well for you. Um, so congratulations. And uh, Volume 6, we'll look forward to that uh, that soon. Yeah. Uh, in, the fall, the, in the fall is the idea, yes, around Halloween time. Terrific. And these are collections of uh, stories from callers primarily to the campfire. Yeah, basically every book, and it's not a small, they're not small books. I mean, they're not 600 pages, but usually they're about 230 pages, somewhere in there, and usually a compilation of about 70 stories. And what I do is I take a time period of the show and go through and kind of pick out what I think are the best stories, and we just kind of 
uh, format them and clean them up so they flow well uh, to read. And uh, people really seem to enjoy them. I mean, they pretty much either have four and a half or five stars on Amazon. And uh, it's been a couple of years of various family things that came up where I could not uh, get to the sixth book. Uh, it's been a couple of years, so I'm looking forward to having that out in the fall. People seem to like them. Is there a call that stands out over all the years you've been doing this? Uh, a caller with a story, and it doesn't have to be a synchronicity even, but one that it just, when someone asks you for a, a, a call that had maybe the greatest emotional impacts or, or that jarred you, that it just leaps immediately to mind. It's like it's oh, the, the, it's the gold standard of all calls. Yes. Oh, yes. And, and I think we've talked about this one before, the Roadhouse Saloon. I think we talked oh, yes. about this one. We have, yes, but you got to share that again. That's a great story. Yeah, it, it's so good. <laughs> so basically, this was T.I. from Michigan, uh, so not too far from your, your guy's uh, neck of the woods. Now, she actually was in Wisconsin at the time, though, and she was with a friend, and they went to see a band. And uh, uh, it was in a rural area, and basically what happened was uh, they closed down the place. They were talking with the band because they were musicians and having a good time talking about getting gigs and stuff. And they were driving back home about an hour away. And T.I., and at this time it's, you know, after 2 o'clock in the morning, so everything's closed up tight. T.I. tells her friend Bob, I think I need to go to the restroom. And he says, well, right now your only options are bushes. And she basically says, no, just drive fast. So anyway, they drive for another 10 minutes, and they see this bar on the side of the road, and it's all lit up, neon, cars, you can hear music playing. And they're like, that's odd, that should be closed, but let's not look a gift horse in the mouth, let's go in. So they go in. And uh, it's kind of odd because, you know, the people are kind of smiling, but they're not really talking. But they go, hey, let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. They go get a couple beers. T.I. goes uh, to the restroom, comes back. Bob mentions, boy, I'm, I'm glad we're here because they've got this great mural on the wall, an Old West mural. And by the way, this place exists. I have confirmed it, and I have seen pictures. It is real. Right. Anyhow, there's this Old West mural. And it has a bartender and some guys playing pool and some guys playing cards. And they start looking at it, and they notice that everybody in that mural is physically in the bar in real life. They thought, that's odd. But then they thought, well, <laughs> maybe it's just the fact that perhaps uh, whoever did this uh, did this as an homage to the clientele. And uh, they didn't think anything of it. And... Uh, this young man comes up to T.I. and uh, smiles real big. He's put some music on the jukebox. They have this beautiful old Wolitzer vinyl-style jukebox. And he puts on Let's Twist Again by Chubby Checker. And he comes up and he asks T.I. to dance. And T.I. uses a cane. And she holds it up as kind of a, an excuse not to dance because she said, I did not want to dance with this guy. He smiled and his teeth were rotten. Not, not a good look. <laughs> and uh, she <laughs> has no interest. She's like, I'm glad I had that cane. But anyway, she tells him no. And, and actually, in, in, I've talked to her subsequently. They, they, they played that song multiple times, which I did not know in the original telling of the story. But they actually played, which makes it even creepier. So anyway, they're looking around. 
And they're just talking about it. And again, the people are kind of weird. They're kind of smiling, but they're not really talking. It's just kind of strange vibe going on. And they keep talking, and they notice they're looking at this painting, and it's got the old doors, the saloon doors. You remember in all the old westerns that we grew up with, Richard, right. where right. you know Bart would come in in the doors and say, "I want to see the sheriff. I've got a sword." To settle. <laughs> and they, you know. Jim, well, I hate to do this to you again, but I'm gonna. I, no sorry, Jim, I'm gonna break in. Doors. Yeah, sorry, Jim, exactly. can you hear me? And, I gotta, I gotta, yeah, I Jim, I gotta you. break in again. Sorry, I got to break okay. in again. We're going to we're going to go to a break. We're going to leave it right there at the Roadhouse. All right. And uh, we'll come back. Jim Harold will finish this this uh, cliffhanger for you right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. We are back with Jim Harold and Jim. We, you, you left us in a roadhouse and uh, yeah. this was a roadhouse that was open, what was it, three, four o'clock in the morning? I figure about three o'clock in the morning from what I could tell. Right. So this couple uh, uh, duck in to make a pit stop and the place is just a jumping and there's a, a strange cast of characters in there. Someone puts a uh, chubby checkers. Let's twist again like we did last summer on the jukebox. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, anyway, the, uh, the there's a strange mural on the wall that yeah, uh, the strange, all of the. the strange, uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the strange mural. And in that mural, as we said, were those double doors, you know, that the villain would come through and say, hey, I want to see the sheriff. So anyway, they're looking at this, and they didn't notice anything strange about those doors first. But then they noticed two misty figures coming into view. They thought, that's funny. We didn't see that when we first came in here. And they looked at it a little more. It looks like they've even come into the picture more, like they're developing like an old-style Polaroid picture. Right. And they look, and one is taller, one is shorter. And as it becomes more apparent, one is a male, one is a female. The female has boots and curly hair. T.I. has boots and curly hair. And, oh, yes, the female, she also has a cane. And as I said Mm. before, T.I. has a cane. At that point, they looked at each other and said, Let's get the bleep out of here, I think is what he and I said. <laughs> they get out, uh, and, and as they get up, the people are like beckoning back, like, come back, come back. But they they don't, luckily for them. And they go out and they close the door. And T.I. described as total darkness. The place was shut up, no neon, no sound, no nothing, like it was totally closed. And... Uh, there weren't cars in the parking lot like there was when they came in. There was a singular car, their car. So they got in and left. Now, you would think that that's a pretty good story. Just that. That's pretty wild. But just wait. There's more, as they say. Um, She's a brave soul, a lot braver than I am, Richard. And she says, I'm going to go back. 
So a few nights later, she goes with a friend or family member. She's telling people about it, and they're kind of like, ah, I don't know about this. I don't know if I believe it. <laughs> and uh, she goes with their friend. They go back, and the place is open. It's about 7, 8 o'clock at night. They weren't going to chance it at 2 o'clock in the morning. And there's a jukebox, sure enough. And the mural's there. Now, the jukebox, though, kind of odd. It's not an old vinyl Wurlitzer classic model bubbler. No, no, no. It's a modern-day CD jukebox. And, by the way, no, let's twist again, not even any chubby checker. And they go and they start talking to the bartender. T.I. says to her, you know, I was in here the other night. Where is that a good-looking bartender? Young guy. Big muscles. I'm like, there's nobody here that bartends like that. I was here Saturday night. I was, the only two bartenders here are me, and she was a young woman, and my elderly father. Hmm. And with that, T.I. and her friend left the Roadhouse Saloon and left that, that mystery to ponder, and she says she's never been back <laughs> on the places there. I've had multiple people go find it, take pictures of the mural. And somewhere on my Facebook group, and it's a big Facebook group with uh, uh, Jim Harold's virtual Facebook group, by the way, everybody, if you want to check it out, it's free. 19,000 members sharing their spooky stories. But anyway, they posted pictures of that. And, uh, yeah, it's a real place. I mean, you can look it up on Google. It exists. And that mural... Those the the people that are depicted in that mural inside the roadhouse, those were the the regulars, the characters, yes. and and they yes. they almost ended up on that mural. Uh, well, you could take that conclusion. Let's put it this way: I w- <laughs> I'm glad that they left. I mean, the thing is, is that you know, and this gets back to the idea of synchronicity. Sometimes, Richard, I think reality is so much stranger than we can even fathom. So what if there was some alternate universe or some kind of portal or something? I I mean, I don't know. I'm like everybody else. I'm in the dark. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it certainly hints at, and and I've talked to T.I. multiple times over the years, and she's very consistent and very sincere, and I believe her. Right, right. Somehow, let me see. Let's twist again last summer. When did that come out? 1962, 63, maybe? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe they did go into a a time slip or something and found themselves in that roadhouse. It shouldn't have been opened at that hour, but it was with an entirely different cast of characters. That's an amazing yeah. story. Now, is that is that in one of the campfire volumes? Uh, it is in one of them. I have to figure out which one it's in. I I have to look <laughs> real quick because I hate to say this, but sometimes they you know the different books after you do five of them they kind of run together. I think that might be in the second or third one while I'm looking here, and uh, I'll have that answer for you in the next couple of minutes. <laughs> no, no pressure, no pressure. No, I just wanted to make sure it it, it found its way into one of them. That's all. Um, oh, let's go to David. Is, definitely is. David is checking in uh, on the conspiracy show this morning. David, where are you calling from? Toronto. Uh, welcome, David. Richard, I know Hi, you David. still owe me a beer from Judy Wood in 2016, September the 11th. Well, how are we going to fix that? <laughs> I owe you a beer. That's right. I remember. I do remember that. <laughs> anyway, from Dr. So, Judy Wood, yes. So anyway, I've had a lot of experiences where I have precognitive events, which would seem coincidental. 
Um, I'm driving along in 1979 in a car, old Honda Civic. My friend and uh, tow truck operator says every time he's come to a collision, the driver's killed. So I'm coming up a hill and traveling about 50 miles an hour in those days. And I hear a voice from the back seat of my car saying, when you get over the top of the next hill, there'll be a car on the wrong side of the road. So I look mm. around to see who's in my back seat. Nobody. And so I think, well, weird. So I slow down, and I'm coming across the hill at the top in the, on the ditch on the right-hand side with my head as high as I can get it in the windshield to see over the top of the hill. And halfway down this long hill, where I imagine I would have been had I not slowed down, I, a car drifts right across into the other side of a two-lane highway where I, I imagine I would have been. And uh, I don't have a head-on collision, so that's nice for me. I've had other... Guardian angel. Sounds like a guardian angel. Other experiences like that, too. I don't know if we've got time for them, though. Yeah, share one more if you can. Okay, so I'm walking down the street. I found myself... This was on Queen Street in the beaches, and I find myself becoming oddly uh, wanting to walk in kind of a martial arts pose. So I'm walking kind of martial artsy. And I come around a corner, and I look to my left, and there's these kids. Two of them are holding the front of this monstrous elastic, and the one at the back's got a snowball, and he launches it at me, and I just move my head slightly to the side. The snowball barely misses my head, but <laughs> and then I stand up, and I keep walking as if nothing happened. And I thought that's a teaching for them. Right, right. Another disaster averted. Uh, yeah, because but it comes to me physically rather than in a voice. Right, right. Yeah. Fantastic, David. Thank you for sharing. Okay, later. Bye. One of these days, we'll uh, we'll connect and I'll get you that beer. Uh, Jim, um, once again, how do people find Campfire and uh, Paranormal Podcast? Yes, they can find it on all the podcast apps, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, any of them. By the way, the Roadhouse Saloon story is in Campfire 3, so it is in ah. one of the books. And also, the hub for everything I do is jimherald.com. That's jimherald.com, and they can find everything there as well. And, Richard, thank you again. It's always great to talk with you Uh I had a chance to have a beer when you were here in Cleveland last summer. It was a pleasure, and I, I hope we get to do that uh, again sometime soon when the world gets back to normal. That would be great. Yes, indeed, when the world gets back to whatever we call the new normal going forward. I think I don't know that anything will ever be quite the same. I don't know. There'll be maybe people won't shake hands the way they used to. Some, you know, I think that there are certain practices that are going to change. What do you think? I think so. I think we're going to be like people who grew up in the World War II area, era. They thought before the war and after the war. And I think that's the way we're going to think about this. All right, Jim. In the meantime, you and your family, be well, be happy, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All the best. Thanks, everybody. And as they say on my show, stay spooky. <laughs> Jim Harold, Jimherald.com. Uh, check out his podcast. 
Jim Harold's Campfire and the Paranormal Podcast. All right. Uh, before we dim the lights here, I just want to remind you, coming up next week, documentary filmmaker Ali Siadatan will talk about uh, coronavirus from a biblical prophecy perspective. And Craig Webb from the National Dream Institute will be here to talk about dreams and nightmares. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And when I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.